Hello and welcome to STAMP, the St Anne's College MCR podcast. Our hope is to make world-class research conducted by graduates at St Anne's College, Oxford, accessible to the everyday listener, who may not have prior knowledge of a subject, but who is nonetheless curious to find out more. My name is Yi Yishu, and I'm Editor-in-Chief of St Anne's Academic Review, the college's interdisciplinary peer-reviewed journal edited by graduates. You are listening to Fresh Academic Voices, a special podcast series featuring five of the nine contributors to the 11th volume of STAR, due for publication this September. With me today is our first guest in this series, Naomi Hoodless, a teacher of languages from Cumbria, Northwest England. Naomi has just completed her PGCE in French and German, and over the last year she has been working full-time in her placement school to train to teach students aged 11 to 18. She's also social science editor at STAR, having previously been German editor of a languages magazine at Newcastle University, where she did her undergraduate degree in translation. One of Naomi's course assignments will be published in the forthcoming volume of STAR, entitled Won't somebody please think of the gays? Investigating the experiences of LGBT students in British schools. Her piece highlights the discrimination that lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender students still face in society. Naomi argues that schools are uniquely placed to support young LGBT people as they come to terms with who they are. And she makes recommendations for how schools might improve their LGBT policies. So welcome, Naomi. Thank you for joining us today on Stamp after another busy week teaching at school. How are you? Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Before we move on to your article, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came into teaching and where you were studying or working prior to Oxford? Before I came to Oxford, as you said, I did my undergrad at Newcastle in French, German, translating and interpreting, which is the longest degree title in the world. I spent my summer holidays my easter holidays working at language camps so for children from abroad would come to the camp to learn english for a couple of weeks so i taught them english and did activities with them and i spent my year abroad as a language assistant in austria also teaching english so teaching is very much something that i've always done as a child i have a younger brother and i used to teach him how to do his lego and all that sort of thing so i think it was a very natural position for me that I just sort of I don't know fell into but really never had any inclination to try something else because it just felt right. That's wonderful really wonderful to hear and what is it about teaching that captivates you and motivates you? It's probably going to sound a bit trite but the desire to make a difference it was my teachers that made the difference to me come from a very small town, a very geographically isolated, nobody really leaves. So when I announced I wanted to go to uni, my parents had no idea what I needed to do to get there because they never went to uni, they don't even have A-levels. So it was my teachers who said, okay, you can do this. We believe that you can do this and you can go to a Russell Group institution. This is what you need to do. This is how you do it and you can get there. Every child needs an adult who believes that they can do that, that they can follow their dreams. And it was my teachers who did that for me. And I'm very, very grateful to them. I suppose I want to pay it forward and do that for my students. 
That's really moving to hear. And you're right, I think teachers can open doors for so many students. And now you're in the position to do that as a teacher and having just gone through the PGCE. How have you found the course? It's very busy. I feel like I'm trying to do a degree and work full time at the same time. So it has very much been an exercise in time management. (laughs) But I've really, really enjoyed it. I've loved the opportunity to be in a school, to teach, to have my own classes, to have a form group and see all these students on a daily basis and, you know, find out about them and about their lives because they're fascinating and hilarious young people. They come up with so many interesting stories about the subjects and it's never a dull day at school. As part of the PGCE, we have research assignments on topics specific to language learning and education, broadly speaking. And one of these assignments is the piece we're talking about today. You wrote, won't somebody please think of the gays? How and when did the idea for this article transpire? Well, initially, from my own experiences in school, I am a lesbian. I had, unfortunately, a lot of bullying and my school didn't really do anything to stop the bullying or to make sure that the bullies were reprimanded etc it was just sort of oh it's your fault for coming out a lot of my friends who did in the future come out once they left school and so on said they didn't feel comfortable coming out in school because of how I was treated I'm on a sort of my little mission to make sure that none of my students have to experience that because it's horrible nobody should be bullied for being who they are I was very, very keen to make sure that this didn't happen to my students, but I wasn't really sure how, what schools should be doing. So I thought I'll investigate this and see what the literature has to say and see what members of staff at my school have to say about the situation and see if I can sort of use this as an opportunity to further my own knowledge in the area and be that person for the students who need it. How did you conduct this investigation in your placement school? Mostly it was a literature review, so review existing literature, but it also included a section of school-based investigation. At the time, I had only been in the school for a few months and there was currently the third lockdown of January and February time. So I decided I would talk to three members of staff, the only other openly LGBT member of staff in school, to see what their opinions were. I talked to the school counsellor, who sees some students who are LGBT, They were both very, very interesting people to talk to. Within the UK, there is something called PSHE, which is Personal, Social and Health Education, also sometimes known as Citizenship. And within that, students are sort of taught about the wider world, I suppose. And one of the things they're taught about is LGBT people, LGBT relationships, LGBT families, all that sort of thing. So I thought I would talk to the person at school who is responsible for coordinating that programme to see what they had to say about what students learn about LGBT. What was the general attitude within your placement school? Was it quite positive and open or was there a little bit of reservation to talk about these issues? Almost 50-50. There were some people in the school who say, oh yeah, this school is great, we're so open, we're so tolerant, it's wonderful. The other half of the people I talked to would say, oh, really they should be doing more. It's, it's, It's fine, but it's by no means a leading light and a pioneer. I also found more generally that some colleagues would not be very approving if two girls or two boys were kissing each other in the playground. They wouldn't give a flying hoot if it was a boy and a girl. And we have a number of students who are transgender or non-binary and 
have changed their name or have changed their pronouns. And some members of staff either refer to them with the wrong pronouns or still refer to them with their old dead names. Maybe nobody had told these members of staff that this is what you should be doing. You know, some of these members of staff are in their 60s, so it's not really a topic that they would have grown up around or that they were familiar with. So it's clear that there needs to be sort of more awareness and more training for them. In terms of training and awareness, what would you introduce into the school policy or the PSHE curriculum? You know, some of these topics come up in PSHE and some of them don't. And I think it's because these kids have access to the internet that they are able to find out about LGBT topics long before they come up in PSHE. One of my year seven students, so age 11, said to me the other day, Miss my lesbian. I thought it was really interesting that at the age of 11 she knew what a lesbian was, because I didn't. And they've not been told about that in PSHE yet, because that doesn't come up till next year. In terms of the PSHE curriculum, LGBT topics could be introduced earlier on. Students are already talking about this. When students know about this already, it's probably best that we introduce this topic so that there is more of a chance of eliminating misconceptions earlier on. I also think PSHE could deal with gender because it sort of mentions that transgender people exist, but it makes no mention of people who are non-binary. Gender identities that fall under the umbrella of non-binary, for example, gender fluid or agender, that definitely needs to be talked about more so that students who do not fall under the spectrum of non-binary understand how their fellow students identify. What would you recommend to trainee teachers who are about to embark on training or are newly qualified? Teachers need specific LGBT training. As teachers, we have a lot of professional development time. For example, we're given mandatory safeguarding training on you know, how to spot if a student is unfortunately being a victim of abuse. We need training on LGBT matters. Younger teachers tend to be more aware of LGBT themes. Older teachers don't, which I think is probably just an indication of how society was when they grew up. It needs to be explicitly laid out that this is what LGBT stands for. This is what a lesbian means and this is how lesbian people identify. And this is what gay means and bisexual means and transgender means and non-binary. Because I think some members of staff aren't fully secure in their knowledge of that. They need to be given the sort of things to say and things not to say if a student chooses to come out to you. For example, a child who is 13 came out to a teacher as a lesbian and the teacher said, oh, well, you're a bit young to know, you know, you've got to make sure you, you have an experiment first. You know, so I think it should be said to them, this is what you should say, this is what you should not say, regardless of what you personally think, this is not what students need to hear specifically regarding students who are transgender or non-binary, to say, this is the protocol. This is their old name. You do not use that name because they are not called that anymore. And to sort of how home the notions of this is what pronouns are. This is how you refer to a student when you talk about them and they're not present. You, you'd either say he thinks this or she thinks this or they think this. They used to be she and her, but they're not she and her anymore. They are they and them. And so therefore, when you talk about them and they're not present, you still refer to them as they and them. Because I think some staff don't understand. We get sent the emails of, oh, so-and-so is now called this and uses these pronouns. But if you don't understand the content of that email, you are still confused. That's LGBT 101. What you should say, what you should not say, and this is what it all means. And this is what your students are likely to be experiencing. So that teachers then have 
more knowledge of the situation and feel more equipped to adequately support their students. Indeed, and as you say, having a bank of responses and protocols that you can draw from, a bit like what we have for behavioural management training. Absolutely. We get taught, this is what you say to a student who has been a victim of a racist attack, or this is what you say to a student who is having a messy home life. So I think if we can extend this sort of notion of giving a script for when an LGBT student comes out, that would be beneficial because students in that sort of situation where they feel very vulnerable, they don't want to hear what you personally think of the gays. It's they need to hear that they are valid and loved and accepted for who they are. And they need to know that they have adults that they can trust. Do you think universities have a role in putting an end to this kind of discrimination in schools especially as providers of teacher training or in other respects i think universities as teacher training providers have an obligation almost to ensure that the teachers they are training are equipped for life in the modern world and part of that entails meeting students or fellow colleagues for example who identify as lgbt in the same way that we are given training on racism or gender equality and that sort of thing, we should be given training on LGBT rights, absolutely. And I'd like to highlight that Oxford does do that. More broadly, universities research into this issue. There's all sorts of queer theorists. Foucault was a, a very big person in queer theory. Within the field of education, there are people who research, you know, what is life like for LGBT students in schools? What should schools be doing? I think universities, they like to to say, you know, our research is world-leading and impactful and it's all very well and good saying that, however, I think universities need to make sure they're really connecting with the institutions that are able to affect this change. It's all very well and good saying, oh, I research about schools, but if you never actually talk to schools about the things that you found out, then one could argue that it's not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And you were in this position on your training to be able to look at this issue, investigate it and suggest some changes that could be in place. And going back to your paper, were you able to speak to some of the LGBT students? I carried out this paper during the corona lockdown, so it wasn't necessarily so easy to talk to students, but I have since then been able to talk to my students. Myself and the LGBT colleague have been in the very fortunate position of being able to set up a support group, which is wonderful. They love having somewhere that they can build a community with people who are like them and learn about LGBT history, learn about current themes affecting LGBT people and also where they can offload. And it's really, really important that they have the opportunity to do that because they might not be able to do it within their group of friends if they are the only LGBT person in the room, as it were. It's something that I would really have loved when I was that age. Mm-hmm. I'm playing devil's advocate here, but do you think these LGBT measures might put too much emphasis on sexuality as a defining feature of one's character because there are lots of things in in teenagehood which build you up and define you and it might be your academic interests or other personal interests yeah for sure we're not saying sexuality is the single only definer of who you are full stop we're saying that this is a part of what makes you who you are it is a small part of who you are as a whole person but it should not be ignored by focusing on sexuality and saying this is also how you could be and that is absolutely fine. Some women love other women and that is okay. I think it's important that we don't neglect it. 
should not be ignored because some students might feel worried and anxious about it and they need someone that they can talk to about it and it may well be that they do not have that at home and where else do they see grown-ups school? The situation certainly has changed since decades ago and as you say we should be talking about them giving young people the chance to discuss them. Of course the LGBT movement has become very prominent in recent years and what would you say to students and teachers who albeit are against discrimination but might nonetheless feel quite daunted by the movement itself because as you say there's an older generation of teachers who are still working in schools but may be quite resistant to what you would propose. I think it's really important that we don't automatically brand these people as homophobes and bigots because that doesn't get us anywhere. So you need to say to them, okay, what are your reservations? What conceptions do you have? And what do you think is going to happen if I tell my students about being transgender, for example? I think it's really important that we hear what they have to say and treat it seriously, because these people also have their students' best interests at heart. So we need to come from sort of the collaborative viewpoint as opposed to just being on the attack all the time because that won't get anyone anywhere. As teachers, we need to work together to support our students. A school needs to be united in such issues because students are not daft and they will be able to tell if there is this sort of division among staff. It rubs off on the students as well. You know, if you've got this whole thing of, oh, we think this, but they think this, then students start to see that perhaps it is okay to to start being in these two camps almost. And as teachers, we're in this position of trust and if we're not able to work together, then how will our students be able to trust and learn from us? Do you think your article could form the basis of a longer piece of work? Because you go into so much detail about the legislation and the research that you carried out in school is also very rigorous. Could you see yourself doing further work in the future? I really enjoyed this opportunity to do this work, but... I've done five years of academia now and I feel ready to sort of go out into the real world and not have to worry about writing essays for a while. Maybe in a few years I would come back and see if I can pursue a master's degree or something in this area, but for now I need to break. (laughs) That's absolutely fair enough. And you've reached the end of your training and you're qualified. How do you feel about that? (laughs) It's so exciting. Yeah, I feel elated. On the one hand, I feel relief that it has all been worth it because... Doing teacher training in a pandemic is not an easy task. It's definitely not one of my better ideas. But I I feel so thrilled and, as we say in the North, dead chuffed to have qualified and to have my hard work recognised and to be able to sort of go out into the world and teach these young people and inspire them to love languages and inspire them to be kind to one another, be open, be tolerant. Yeah, to to make that difference. I'm sure you're going to be an amazing and inspiring teacher. What are your plans for when you leave St Anne's? Where are you heading next? I will be returning to where I spent my year abroad in Austria. I had a wonderful time and I forged really good links with the schools that I was placed in. So I shall be teaching English as a foreign language and German as a foreign language to refugee students. And I'm very excited. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Naomi. And it's been a really fascinating conversation to talk about such a pressing topic in education. And we look forward to reading your article in the 11th volume. All the very best for your work in Austria. It's going to be a wonderful adventure, I'm sure. Thank you for having me and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this and for you know, highlighting the importance of LGBT education.
That was Naomi Hoodless, a newly trained teacher of languages, speaking about her article on LGBT students' experiences in British schools. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can visit our website, stanneacademicreview.com, to find out more about the writers in the Fresh Academic Voices series and what they'll be writing about in their articles for STAR. In our second episode, we'll hear Brittany Hawes, a DPhil candidate in linguistics, giving their rundown of an early 20th century ballad, Amor de un Campestre, by Bolivian writer Pedro Rivas. They'll explain how the use of regionally specific vocabulary that characterizes the piece illustrates several of the effects of language contact, which continue to distinguish the variety of Spanish spoken in Santa Cruz from other varieties heard today in Bolivia and around the world. Brittany will be interviewed by Star Humanities editor Erin Nichols, with whom Brittany has been working closely on her piece. Very soon, STAR will be launching the open peer review process for the nine academic articles in Volume 11. Any academic with considerable experience in the author's field of study, they must hold a PhD at the very least, may submit a review, so long as they have not published or closely collaborated with the author in the last three years. If you're interested in submitting a review, please visit our website for more details. Thank you for listening to STAMP. St. Anne's College MCR podcast. Do follow us on Spotify. We're also available on all the main podcast platforms as well as on social media. We hope you'll tune in next time. Goodbye for now.